Hi, this is Stuart Hardy with All In Sports Outreach to share episode number 87 of our podcast with you. You're in for a treat today. I cannot wait for you to hear from Mikado Henson. He's currently the Director of Player Development for the Texas A&M Football Program, formerly on staff with FCA. Just an incredible man with a lot of passion for his relationship with Christ and making Christ known. He's also an incredible husband, incredible dad. He's married to Chandra. They have three kids, live in College Station, and their life is a ministry. I cannot wait for you to hear from Mikado and just get a glimpse of his energy and his passion for Christ. So let's jump right into it. But thanks for joining me today, Mikado. Honored to be here, Stuart. Thank you so for my, uh, so much for having me on the podcast. You bet. So I always like to start these with just some background information just to give the listeners a little bit about who you are. So talk about your your family growing up and a little bit about your family today. Yeah, I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in a town just outside of Kansas City called Olathe, Kansas. Um, born and raised in Olathe. Um, but my parents, Carl and Donella, amazing people, hardworking people, really taught me the value of hard work and, uh, and, and respect and things like that. Um, have an older brother named Chris, so it's just T and I, and um, I love him dearly. It's, it, my parents just celebrated 48 years of marriage, and um, they are, my father's African-American, my mother's Caucasian, and, um, you know, biracial marriage, biracial, uh, being growing up biracial, you know, um, they got married in 1971 when biracial, interracial relationships weren't smiled upon, they were frowned yeah. upon. Um, not completely smiled upon now, a little more accepting, but there's still a lot of issues uh, about that. But, uh, I just posted a picture recently on social media of my parents, uh, their wedding day with my dad's mom and dad and my mother's parents. So both my sets and my grandparents taking a picture. And I said, that is so beautiful. 1971, both sides loved the other and accepted the other. And, uh, it was a pretty beautiful thing. So I've grown up with amazing, phenomenal parents, uh, a, a cool and awesome brother. And uh, yeah, man, we just grew up just a little Midwest uh, town, about 20 minutes outside of downtown Kansas City uh, called Olathe, Kansas. And um, currently married and hopefully married for a long, 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 long time. Been married uh, 21, almost 22 years to my bride, Chandra. Uh, we met in junior college. And um, she ran track and she, I told her, I, eventually I told her, you weren't that fast. I slowed you down and caught you, girl. But uh, <laughs> uh, we, 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 have, we have three children. Maya uh, is 21, Kendall, she's 18, and MJ, my little mini-me, he's 15. And um, they're amazing children. We're, we've been blessed with uh, some really, really uh, smart, beautiful, uh, love the Lord, just some really good kids. And so I'm a proud dad. I'm a proud husband. And um, that's just a little bit of background on my family. I, can't, I grew up with a weird name, Mikado. Um, <laughs> my, brother, my brother's name's Chris. And so I got the, got the, the unique name. But, uh, but, um, but yeah, I come from a great family. That's awesome. So did you grow up a family of faith? And then at what point did you decide that you needed a personal relationship with Jesus? Yeah, you know, we didn't. We did not grow up going to church. Um, Christ was not uh, heavily emphasized in our home uh, from a relationship standpoint. Um, you know, I, I knew some of the, you know, nighttime prayers and things like that, but that personal relationship was never stressed. And um, 
again, I grew up with um, hardworking parents. My dad uh, managed a grocery store, just retired less than a year ago or about a year ago. And, um, and my mother was an occupational therapist. It, the relationship with Christ was never stressed. We were good, moral people, uh, treated people with respect, knew the value of hard work and things like that. But um, Christ was never an emphasis. It was not the cent- central focus of our home. It really wasn't until the seventh grade that a young lady named Dawn White planted that seed in my life. I sat by her in class because she was pretty and had gum every day, to be (laughs) honest. And uh, from seventh grade until 11th, 12th grade, she just planted a seed in my life, watered that seed. Um, Unfortunately, but, you know, God gets all the glory. She went home to be with the Lord our senior year of high school. Hmm. Uh, developed Hodgkin's lymphoma, went through chemo and radiation, uh, went into remission, and um, that her immune system was so depleted that she caught the next thing that just went around next cold or flu and developed into pneumonia, and she died at uh, 17, 18 years old. But she planted a seed. She planted that seed of Jesus Christ loving me, had a plan for my life. She lived it. She didn't just talk it. Um, she always invited me to youth group and I always said, no, I always invited her to the movies. She always said no, but we became really good friends. And, um, so seventh grade year, she planted a seed and I said, there's something different about this young lady. And, um, she went home to be with the Lord. she never saw me come to Christ because my freshman year of college is when I accepted Jesus as my personal Lord and savior. And, um, but I, she was like a Moses to me. Um, she led me to the edge of the promised land, but didn't enter it in. God used a a Joshua, so to speak, to take me on in. And my freshman year of college, I received Christ. And so, um, and since then my mom, uh, she recommitted her life to Jesus around the same time that I gave my life to him. And three, three and a half, four years later, my dad gave his life to Jesus after my constant badgering and inviting, uh, to come to church, men's breakfast and things like that. And, he came one day because our Kansas City Chiefs, our beloved Chiefs, were um, on either playing Monday night or had a bye week. And he said, OK, OK, I'll come to the men's breakfast because the Chiefs aren't on. And um, lo and behold, God knew exactly what he was doing. And something was said at that men's breakfast that really encouraged my dad, who was going through a tough time at that particular time. And he said, well, I've already stayed for the breakfast. I might as well stay for Sunday school. Wow. I said, okay, great. Called my mom, said, mom, go ahead and hurry up and get to church. Dad's going to stay for Sunday school. Okay, great. And he said, oh, I've already stayed for Sunday school. Might as well stay for service. So he stayed for service that day and um, gave his life to Jesus that day. Um, and it's been pretty cool just watching God transform uh, my dad's heart of stone, just like all of us who've received Christ into that heart of flesh. And my dad is one of the most, he's always been one of the most genuine and sincere men that I've ever known. Um, but to see Jesus get a hold of his life and uh, really restore, not a broken marriage by any sense, because they always, always loved each other, but to really lay a solid foundation in their marriage. And again, they just celebrated 48 years of marriage. And wow. I, they're, they're going to live that till death do us part, that uh, vow out. And so, um, yeah, I did not grow up in that type of home. And, um, but God is good and he showed himself faithful to me at 19 years old. And, and, uh, here I am at 44 now and, uh, been walking with the Lord through the peaks and the valleys of life and, and all that good stuff. But, uh, 
it's been it's been amazing. But to see my parents serve the Lord as well, it's a it's a beautiful thing. Man, what a testimony of uh, you know from your your friend Dawn to <clears throat> yeah. you know to to just love somebody, you yeah. know, and not worry about who gets the credit. Just yeah. love them and let let God work on the heart. And then <clears throat> then after you receive Christ, I mean, just hearing the story of your parents, that just gives me chills. Yeah, and I'll tell you, um, you know, Dawn never she did not see my salvation, but she seated the salvation. Amen. And 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 her message, her her testimony in my life has been shared all around the world. Um, That's right. Did some things in Argentina, shared the story of Don White pouring into my life. Been to Mexico, been to Haiti, been to the Dominican, been to Germany. Everywhere I've gone, I've shared her testimony. And the cool thing, it's kind of um, come full circle a little bit, is um, last year I eulog- helped eulogize my grandmother. And um, I knew that was Don White's home church as well. And I knew there was a chance that I'd see her mother. And um, I saw her mom for the first time since Mm. 1993, 1992, 93, when she passed. And um, right when I looked at her and she looked at me, I just started crying and Mm. I hugged her. And I said, Mrs. White, Dawn's life is still preaching. I said, I've been sharing her story. Any chance I get, I'm sharing her story. We cried and we hugged and, and I said, her her living, yes, it could have been a sh- we consider it short on this earth, but her living wasn't in vain because um, the story of Jesus is still being told through how Don White told me about Jesus, lived it out in front of me, and then you know, only by the grace of God have I been able to share the gospel probably with tens of thousands of people, and um, you know, again, seeding salvation, watering seeds, and, and then also being fortunate to be able to see people come to Christ from time to time. That is an honor uh, because that's God's business. But to be able to uh, see people receive Jesus, maybe through the testimony of Don White, how I came to Christ, whatever it was, it's just uh, pretty special uh, because she didn't see me get saved, but she seeded the salvation. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. We can stop right there. That's That's powerful. Amen. <laughs> you no, know, it's just a reminder. Just, just love people. Love them. Right. Love them where they are, and let let God work on the heart. But a lot right. of times, we, I know at least for me, you know, we're worried about. Let's. I want to be the one to lead them to Christ. You know, I do it too. I do it yeah. too, and it's still our selfish nature that is just. You know, our. I say our heart's right in wanting to see people come to Christ, but it's probably still a little bit of our pride for us to be able to say, "Yeah, I led that person to Christ," and I know I've said it. You may have said it. Uh, people listening may have said it, but at the end of the day, our job is to sow seed and water seed. You look at the parable of the farmer. He never looked. The farmer never looked to see where the seed lands. They're just being faithful to sow the seed. And some will fall on the path. Some will fall on the rocky soil, some thorny soil. But every now and then it's it falls on good ground. And um, it could be a seed someone else had sown. And God allows us to see the salvation. It's just whatever. It's all God's business. But he right. challenges us to just sow seed, water seed. And whenever salvation happens, we give God the glory. Uh, doesn't matter who it, who is the person who's present or that person be sitting alone at home and, and have a God encounter. And they'll say, I was sitting at home by myself, staring at the wall and God met me and I invited him into my life. And, and as Jesus did in the gospels, he said, follow me. And, um, and people will stop right where they are and follow him. So I just celebrate that. I used to get so burdened and people aren't coming to Christ and, and, you know, counting numbers and how many people got saved and things like that. 
I think at the end of the day, God kind of probably scratches his head and say, you know, good try, good try what you're doing. And I think your heart's right. But at the end of the day, he's saying, hey, live as an authentic Christ follower. Be one who identifies with me. Like when Peter was warming his hands by the fire, you were with him. You were one with him and he denies him. But I think um, Jesus is just calling us to follow him. And along that journey of following him, every now and then he'll allow us to see people give their life to Jesus. And um, it's his business. We're just there to celebrate. You know? That's right. So you mentioned um, sharing that story all over the world. So, yeah. you know, I think listeners kind of get an idea that you're in, <clears throat> in ministry. So what point did you yeah. feel God calling you in the full-time ministry? Yeah. Well, when I was a senior in college, I went to Norfolk state university in Virginia. Um, I did not play sports past high school. Um, and wasn't even an elite athlete then. I was a pretty good athlete growing up, and all of a sudden, all my skills seemed to just diminish. Maybe I didn't work hard enough. But uh, I went to school to be a broadcaster. I wanted to be a famous sports broadcaster. I was a radio uh, mass communications uh, major. So I traveled with the football and the basketball teams doing play-by-play and color commentary uh, on the sports broadcast. It was a student-led radio station, and so we got to travel with the teams and do the the play-by-play and color commentary. And I think I started feeling a tug on my heart for ministry uh, when I would interview coaches and athletes after games, especially after losses. And you could just see the hurt in their heart. You could see just the anguish of things that they're feeling. And I was always moved with compassion. I always felt myself um, sympathizing with their disappointment. And I just started feeling a tug on my heart, tug on my heart. And I found myself not wanting to ask the tough questions after games, ones that broadcasters mm-hmm. probably need to ask. And mm-hmm. I just felt my heart was like, no, like even when we'd say, OK, thank you for your time. Afterwards, I'd always try to encourage them a little bit, you know, off off the record. And um, and I started saying to myself, you know, I, I was putting out different applications, my resume into different places. And, and my dream job was to be a boxing um, commentator for HBO boxing. And, um, I found myself putting in my resume in for HBO boxing, just as a production assistant, different radio stations, but I really wasn't chasing hard after my mom got a little worried. And I said, mom, God's got something for me. And I started feeling the tug on my heart, uh, for ministry. And maybe it wasn't necessarily pulpit ministry in a church, but it was in full-time ministry and, and, uh, ended up becoming parachurch ministry through FCA. My grandfather, this is a, another cool testimony. My grandfather fought Parkinson's disease for 19 years. And it got to the point where he, it was hard for him to remember my name. It was hard for him to talk and things like that. But I just remember uh, my grandpa um, mentioning FCA. Hmm. The, headquarters, the headquarters is in Kansas City. Um, and he said, if you feel like you're called to ministry, why not FCA? And I didn't know much about FCA other than we had a huddle in high school that I never went to. <laughs> and so I, I literally said, um, you know, grandpa, it's a great idea. And so connected some dots, knew someone through my church whose brother was a big higher up with FCA, ended up getting in touch with him. I was still finishing up school. And, um, he said, you know, after talking to him a few times, another guy named Kerry Casey, um, who's just been a dear mentor for me um, through the years. And they said, Hey, we think you're a perfect fit for this team. Um, we're going to put you in touch. Do you, do you care where you live? I said, no, I'm in Virginia with a, a new wife, a baby on the way. 
And um, I was like, I necessarily don't have to move back to Kansas City. It's we're kind of open. You know, we don't have any ties. And um, they gave me two areas, Johnson City, Tennessee and Houston, Texas. Hmm. And I talked to the Houston director at the time. His name is Mike Myers. Um, and he, he uh, said, well, we'd like to bring you guys down. We have an open in, for inner city Houston. And they brought us, brought my wife and I down for an interview in September of 98. Yeah, September of 1998. November 1 of 98, we were pulling into Houston, starting our journey with FCA. And um, without much training, but just a lot of zeal and a lot of passion and a heart for people and a love for God, uh, we joined the FCA team. I wasn't a great fundraiser at the time. Uh, I, I consider myself a pretty good friend raiser. Um, and, and, and I was really like a sponge, man, just soaked in how you do sports ministry, especially in the inner city. And, uh, there I was in HISD inner city, Houston doing FCA ministry as a young 24 year old. And, um, I was blessed to work with FCA for 16 years. And, wow. um, and it was my only job other than the one that I have now, the only job that I've ever had. So, um, since college and so it was called the ministry and, um, still called the ministry. Yeah. Sweet. So your time, your time in Houston, you, you get to serve at university of Houston, but also, um, when I was doing some prep for this, you were also served a, a time as a chaplain for the Houston Rockets. Right. So talk about what it's like. I mean, ministry serving inner city Houston and yeah. then college athletics and then professional. Yeah. Um, the, the thing that they have in common is they all involve people. Mm. <laughs> um, and that's what I never, I never try to lose sight of that is mm -hmm. that, you know, social status, uh, economic status, all those things, the, you know, the, the way people live may be different, but they're all people and mm. everyone has a heart and, and apart from Jesus, everyone's broken. Right. So, um, my first, uh, well, I'll say this, people always ask me, man, now you're working at A&M and the SEC, you've done with the Rockets, University of Houston, all those things, man, you just keep doing it, man. Just like the next thing I said, no, I remember being in Johnston middle school in HISD hmm. with, coach John, with coach Johnny Simmons. And I remember standing there talking to his gym class, giving them a short word of encouragement and then us praying for his kids with our eyes open, looking like we're having just general conversation. Okay. I remember going to uh, Madison high school in HISD where Vince Young and a guy named Courtney Lewis, other guys had come through coach Ray seals. I remember speaking to his team in this hot, it was almost like a trailer classroom that did, had no AC. And so I'm talking to them right before a football game, um, really in obscurity, just out of pure love for God, love for people, Coach Seals and I had a great relationship, and he allowed me to speak to his team every week before they got on the bus to go play. Well, then my first chaplain assignment was at Houston Baptist University women's basketball. Hmm. The, NAIA, the NAIA, and I would go in about 10 minutes before they take the court to play to give them just a short word from the scriptures, just an encouragement for the game. Uh, a lot of those girls became babysitters for my wife and I, so that was a good deal. And then in 2000, got a call from uh, Coach Dana Demmel. Uh, who was the head coach at the University of Houston, and um, said, hey, we're looking for someone to be our chaplain. And I raised my hand. They called our office, and I raised my hand and said, hey, I got saved in college. I would love to have this opportunity. And so in 2000 was my first year starting with the University of Houston. Uh, I was with Coach Demmel. I was with Art Bryles for five years. I was with Kevin Sumlin for four years. 
and Tony Levine for two until I moved here to College Station uh, to be here um, four years with Coach Sumlin, one year now with Jimbo Fisher going into my second year with him. Um, but being with the Rockets was pretty cool. So I was doing U of H and I was doing the Rockets at the same time. Coach Rudy Tomjanovic was still the coach. Uh, I was co-chaplaining with uh, Mike Myers. And so, um, you know, 41 home game, regular season home games, it keeps you busy. And uh, been able to develop some really strong, solid relationships with uh, those guys. And at the end of the day, pro athletes, you know, they get catered to. They get, you know, preferential treatment probably wherever they go. Uh, the chapel space was a safe space where they could just be themselves, uh, where I would just treat them as men. Uh, wouldn't treat them as superstars and things like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, would share the truth of God's word with them. And uh, they, they really enjoyed that. And we always opened it up for both teams. So we'd have players from both teams coming uh, 55 minutes before the game until 37 minutes on the game clock. That's when we finished. Uh, we had to be pretty staunch at that time to dismiss. Um, but guys would come from both teams. It'd be great times of fellowship and um, really saw some good growth in, in some of those Rocket guys. I'm still friends with uh, quite a few of the guys that was able to build some relationship with. Uh, one of them, Adrian Griffin, just uh, as an assistant coach for the Raptors, just won an uh, NBA title. Wow. Really proud of him. He and I stayed in touch over the years after he finished playing all his coaching stops and things like that. We used to hang out outside of the arena and uh, become and stayed good friends to this day. And I'm really proud of him. He loves the Lord. He coaches that way. Um, he's going to get a head job soon. He just interviewed with the, the Memphis Grizzlies as for their head job. Didn't get it, but it won't be long before Adrian Griffin is the head coach in the NBA and uh, he's going to do it the right way. He's a Christ follower, um, comes from a solid family, and he's just, it's unbelievable. But building relationships with those guys, one funny story with the Rockets was doing chapel for them. I won't mention the player's name, but uh, there were a lot of players from the Clippers who came uh, for this particular game. And um, I guess he hadn't seen them in a while. So I'm in the middle of reading the scripture that we're going to talk about. And he comes in and um, starts, you know, dapping all the guys up, saying what's up. And I'm reading the word, right? And so I kind of look up and I just stop and I'm looking at him. <laughs> well, a couple of the players knew what was about to happen because they were like, uh-oh. And I said his mm. name. I'm like, hey, bro. I say, bro, um, you're late. Why don't you just go ahead and sit down? And... Um, why don't you just, you can say hi to all the guys afterwards. Oh my God, I'm, my bad, my bad. So, no, bro, we're good. And so I just kept going through chapel. And after chapel, he came up and apologized again. And I said, hey, man, like, if I were just talking, like, I'm good, bro. Like, I, I don't, that doesn't bother me. But if I'm reading God's word, we need to have respect for his word. That we don't come in with our own thing, interrupting what's going on. And he was wow. like, I get it. I get it 100%. And so it's kind of been me and my, my nature is, you know, I'm a loving, fun guy. But when it comes to God's word, I, I just take it serious. I think it should be taken seriously. And, and uh, I'm not going to play patty cake with it <laughs> or, you know, with guys. So that was one funny story. But, you know, just seeing guys grow, uh, seeing some guys during the offseason coming to church with me and things like that. And just talking through things uh, when there's injuries and stuff like that. So being in the professional level, it was cool. Um, at the time, it wasn't for me. It was taking a lot of time away from my family, um, and I didn't travel with the team. But um, uh, but still, 
it was really some good opportunity to really pour and speak truth into those guys. And, um, and again, have developed, developed some good relationships with guys that are still lasting to this day. That's awesome. And you mentioned being at A&M uh, with Coach Sumlin, now Coach Fisher. So you're no longer with FCA. You're actually on staff at A&M as Director of Player Development. So Correct. tell us what, what is a Director of Player Development? Yeah. We hear that term yep. all the time at college and pro level. So what is it? Yep. Well, I tell you what, you're going to hear a lot of different answers probably. Yeah. To be honest, it really is up to the coach and how they see that position and how they value that position. Um, I've gotten phone calls from guys from different schools and they'll tell me what they do on a daily basis. I'll tell them and they're like, Oh, that's the dream. And they're like, man, I'm not doing any of those things. Yeah. And so, <laughs> I'll be honest. The, the, this position is different in a lot of different places. And, uh, some guys are doing class checks, bed checks. Um, uh, they're, they, I'll be honest. They're kind of like a police for the staff. Mm. And, um, I just don't think that that's healthy. If that, if this position it's going to be one of, in, in my role, of being a character coach, mentoring young men, counseling young men, uh, ultimately being the chaplain uh, for a team, a spiritual coach, all those things. That's what the player development role here entails. If, if that's the goal at every place, then I can't be in a position to police the guys because I'm trying to establish trust. I'm trying to build a personal relationship with these guys that I'm walking with on a daily basis. And they've got to be able to trust me that if they're going to come share information with me, that then I'm going to be able to have to um, really just process that and walk that out with them, knowing that I'm not just going to run and tell their coach, you know, so this position looks different at a lot of schools, but under my umbrella of player development, it is character coach, chaplain, mentor, um, it used to be big brother when I was younger. Now it's kind of like a father figure. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, really just walking alongside guys through, through life and, uh, walking through challenges, walking through struggles, walking through victories, walking through injuries, uh, deaths in the family. Um, just when life hits, cause, uh, my mentor, John Randall's always used to say this. He'd say, if anyone told you life's fair, they lied to you. Mm. This this world is evil and desperately wicked and won't be made right until Jesus Christ comes back. And so, um, you know, through the toughest of times, you know, I want to be a consistent voice, a consistent presence um, in these young men's lives. And I want them to continue to trust that I'm going to tell them truth, even when it's hard truth. Mm. And so um, the, the role of player development here at A&M is, I'll be honest, um, we kind of were able to you know, a gentleman who preceded me, which are shoes that I won't try to fill, Dr. Rick Rigsby. Um, he was a professor, but was also like the life coach and things like that of the team. Could someone um, really put this position and 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 uh, really establish a position when I came? And uh, I said, Coach, you know me, man. You know I'm a Christ follower. You know I'm going to counsel. You know I'm going to love these guys. You know I'm going to speak to these guys. You know how I'm going to do it. And he said, exactly. The same thing you did for me at Houston, I want you to do here. It's just under a new title, a new umbrella. And, um, you know, I like to think that I've been a good steward with, with this, with the position in this, is that I'm not standing up on the tables, beating guys over the head with the word. I'm just walking through life with people and loving them right where they are. And um, uh, so my position is unique. Um, I think it's necessary. Mm-hmm. A lot more schools and professional teams are are getting this position. 
And um, again, some some guys have too many plates that they're trying to spin. Uh, I think that there are a few key plates that should be spinning with this position, and it should be that of mentoring and counseling and and, and spiritually developing and um, you know things like that. So that's yeah, what that's I do awesome. on a daily basis. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you that it's definitely needed. You know, if we want yeah. these athletes to be successful young men you know in society they need to learn more than you know they need to learn about how to handle life and you're right life you know life they're going to face difficult times that's right and you you think about it um this beautiful stadium we have here kyle field it's full seven times a year Mm -hmm. so one week out of 52 it is full if we're able to go to the national championship that's eight more weeks of football on the road and playoffs and all that stuff 15 weeks out of 52 you're actually competing in a game. Mm. But think about how much time that helmet's hanging in your locker. Oof. And you're having to make um, wise decisions with um, how you are as a son, how you are as a sibling, how you are as a boyfriend, how you are as um, you know, a student athlete, how you are socially, how you are treating other men's daughters, you know, mm. how you're, you know, so the character development piece the challenge piece of challenging them to, to be men of character, men of integrity. It's important. Yeah. Because how you live off the fields is how, it's really how you're going to play on the field. It's, it's always going to reveal. And so if, if you're a man that, um, you know, is respectable, respectful, and, and ultimately, you know, a man of integrity living for God, um, chances are you're going to be pretty solid, I'm not saying maybe statistically or anything like that, you know, in your field, in your sport, but you're going to be someone that can be dependent upon. A lot of times you're going to be a leader of the team, maybe a team captain, but I think it's the off the field development. Uh, it's just as crucial and important as the on the field development, because yeah. you can develop all those talents. You can develop all those skills. And as it's been said, probably by a million people, your talent will take you places that your character won't keep you. And so mm. your talent will help get you in the door. Your, your character is what keeps you. Uh, in this place, in this space. So um, I just think that it is vital. And the coaches that I've been blessed to work for, um, you know, here at Texas A&M with with Coach Sumlin and now Coach Fisher, they see that position. They see this position that I'm blessed to have as really, really important. And both gave me and give me great freedom to do my job. and, And hopefully that means to do it well. That's awesome. And one of the things you've done there is, um, Submission trip, you take athletes down to Haiti. Right. Aggies for Haiti, I've heard yeah. it referenced. Mm-hmm. Um, so t- talk about that experience and the impact you've seen that have on these young young, young men. Yeah, and, um, you know, I was excited to go well, if it was just me going because I just knew God was saying go. But in 2016, we put together our first group with an organization called Mission of Hope Haiti. Um, mm-hmm. They are doing awesome work there. They are um, – uh, gosh, they're, they're now expanding to the Dominican Republic and the Turks and Caicos. And um, their heart is to see every man, woman, and child um, really present the gospel to every man, woman, and child on that island and, and now beyond. But in 2016, got a group of uh, student athletes, football, um, equestrian, swimming and diving, uh, soccer, volleyball. Um, we had a group of about 30 or so go on that first trip. And I just there's such benefit to getting outside your, your comfort zone. 
there's such benefit to getting outside of your country to go serve people. Mm-hmm. people. So, well, can't you do that domestically? Sure you can. And you should, you should be doing things locally uh, with local shelters and, and food banks and things like that. And we do, um, but getting outside and going to international, it is something so special to go to countries where there are great needs. You know, Haiti is the second poorest country in the Western hemisphere. Right. And, but as poor and as broke, beautifully broken as that country is, you see people with hope. You see people that have something that a country like ours, that, you know, we have everything at our disposal at our fingertips. And it's always, we want a little bit more, but you see people in a country like Haiti that have very little and they'll say, it's just enough, mm. you know, and, and it just does something to you. So to be able to get outside those, the, the, our comfort and our bubble and to go serve internationally, I think is vital. I think everyone, you may not be called international missions. That's fine. Uh, but I think that everyone should experience some type of trip uh, where you can get outside and go serve people. I told our group from, from year one, we're not going with S's on our chest to go save mm. the day. Because a lot of times the mentality of the American missionary is that sure. we're going to go to this other country and we're going to help these little poor people out. Well, we said the only S we're going to have on our chest is to go serve. That's it. Yeah. If it means anything, it means service. Not because um, we're being so um, self-righteous and things like that. No, we are literally going to serve. It is not about Mikado Henson. It's not about Texas A&M football or athletics. It is about we've been given an opportunity. These athletes have been given a platform of influence, and we're going to go and we're going to serve one week out of 52, okay? And we're going to partner with what Mission of Hope has been doing, and um, we're going to pick up where another group left off, and then someone will pick up when we leave. But what we have seen it do to our student athletes and me and our staff that go, we have seen it do a real life transformation, even in our own lives. And so that's what's been so cool is to go into villages and sitting with people at their homes on their doorsteps. And it's a little, little shack of a place, but they take such pride in what they have, what little they do have. And um, I'll tell you. We've had many athletes come to Christ on that trip. We just got back from the Dominican Republic um, uh, in May, and five athletes gave their life to Christ for the first time on that trip. Eleven athletes got baptized. And um, so we've been blessed uh, in the five trips that we've taken. I think we've baptized over 40 athletes, and we've probably been able, blessed to be able to see within our own teams probably about eight or nine, maybe ten salvations. Wow, it has been really special just to watch these young people serve, Uh, just to really get their hands dirty, just to really get down on ground level and just love people with the love of Christ. So and then to bring that back has been pretty special. It's been pretty special um, to see some locker rooms impacted by that. Amen. Um, You know, so the first year we went, we had guys like Miles Garrett and Deshaun Hall and Trevor Knight and. Josh Reynolds, who just played in the Super Bowl, and Dalen Mack, who just got drafted. We just, we the group that we had go on that first trip. It was such an influential group on our campus, and when they came back, everyone got excited. Our trip doubled in size that next year, more than doubled in size. Uh, but again, we've been blessed to go to Haiti four times. We just got back from the Dominican Republic, and we will take a spring sport trip in December. Um, to the Dominican again, good Lord willing. So Aggies for Haiti has been 
tremendous blessing partnering with Mission of Hope. Uh, Haiti has been a tremendous blessing. They're doing amazing things, and we're honored to be a part of what they're doing. So you've talked about your role. You've talked about the missions. So how do you balance all that with being a husband and a dad? Yeah, well, involve my family as much as possible. Um, I want my student athletes to see me as a husband. I want this, them. That means my wife is around. I want them to see me as a dad. That means my children are around. Okay. Um, we host a small group at our house on Sunday nights, and so student athletes come over from all different sports, and um, they just get to come to a home, chill. We'll do a video study. We do, we're, we just finished Francis Chan, the Book of Mark. Um, and just have some good fellowship time. So I also have to learn how to turn it off. You know, Mm -hmm. I haven't, I haven't always done that. I'll be very honest. I always have, I have not always been the best at that. Um, but my wife has helped tremendously. Um, I've had different people speak truth into my life, mentors, uh, that have talked about that family life balance. Um, you know, that work balance, uh, one of my FCA directors would always say, break your day up into thirds. You know, two thirds, you know, you're going to be given to work and, and the vocation that you've been called to. But that other third, you guard it, you protect it. That's for your family. Um, it seems like it's out of balance. But you think how many days to, uh, of the how many hours of the day you work, you know, to give your family a third of that time. And it's hard to do, um, but it's it's vital. My family and just like you, Stuart, and everyone listening who um, is in any type of ministry, I'm talking work. I'm not talking like mm-hmm. pulpit and church ministry. Uh, our families are our first ministry. Amen. You know, and um, there's a lot of people who are doing some type of ministry whose families are are really unhappy and things like that. And I'm speaking from experience. You mm. know, I've I've done that, and um, and so I I would say this is just 101, just practical advice, you know, guard your schedule, mm-hmm. you know, you have your calendar, but guard your schedule. And anytime you're saying yes to something, you're saying no to your family. So anytime you're able to involve them in what you're doing, you know, we have recruiting dinners and my wife, I'll say, Hey babe, we got a date tonight and we're going to recruiting dinner, <laughs> but, mm. um, you know, involve your family as much as you possibly can. So I've been blessed to do a lot and, um, but I have a tremendous support system of tremendous family and have people who will challenge me if things are getting out of balance. And, uh, but I say, guard your schedule. Um, be careful what you say yes to and what you say no to. And if you say no, don't feel bad about it because if that's an opportunity to say yes to your family, that's probably the best in the long run anyway. Amen. So, um, so yeah, so I have lived the out of balance life, uh, a lot of times, but I think in the last, you know, 10 years or so that, that balance has gotten pretty solid. You know, when practice is over, I'm I'm gone. I mean, I'm out on the first thing smoking, man. I'm in my car and I'm rolling. I'm going home. Um, I don't need to hang around extra. More is not always more. Right? Mm-hmm. And so um, once it's time to go, I love being home. <laughs> People say, man, you're not out and about, man. I'm a home. I'm a homebody. And so um, I just, I value that time even if we're not home talking and interacting, just being the presence of my family is pretty special. So I encourage people, man, if, if your life's out of balance right now, um, you better, you better check it pretty quick and, um, and find some work life balance because um, everything hangs in the balance of that. I don't want to be a hero to everyone that I, that I serve and then be a zero at home. 
Oof. You know, well, that's good right there. Yeah. I want to be, I want to be a hero to my kids and my wife and, and, um, haven't always been that, you know, and, um, but it's, what's really important. And so I just encourage people, um, you know, you say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this to provide for my family. We can, you, uh, Andy Stanley had a message called choosing to cheat. Mm. You, you don't always have to cheat your family just to provide for them. And, um, and it wasn't saying do um, immoral things to right. get money and things like that, but where you can trim some things off. Why is a family the one that always gets cut first, you know? You're right. And so, so it, it, that convicted the snot out of me. And, um, and I'd like to think that I'm not perfect in this by any sense, by any means, but I think I've done a lot better job here in the more recent history of finding some balance between the two. And that is um, trying to involve your family as much as you can when you have to be away. That's good. I like that. I've, you know what? I've, I've heard a lot of different people talk about work-life balance, but I've never just practically say, look at it and go two-thirds of the day, vocation one-third to your family. That's just a very practical way um, to break that, that down. That's good. Yeah, that was a Wade Hopkins FCA uh, teaching. Mm-hmm. There you yeah, go. Um, that was that was all Wade, and Wade did a good job of that. He'd he'd always say, I don't know if people listening know Wade, soft spoken Wade, but he'd say, Hey man, if you got a, an early morning and a late night, take that afternoon off. Or if you have a late afternoon, uh, an afternoon in the evening, take that morning off. Do the two thirds and one third. And I've tried to stay with that. I mean, I've tried to you know do my best at, at that. And uh, Wade used to he used to preach that so much to the FCA staff. So. That makes, it makes perfect sense. No matter what profession you're in, it makes, it makes a lot of sense because you're right. We always feel like to provide, we got to give more to our work. Yeah. And we give our family more. That's right. And um, Andy Stanley also wrote a book called the next generation leader, which always talked about more is not always more. Sometimes less is more, you know, and then also on your schedule, like if, if you have like, say my son has a football game and um, someone asked me to go speak. Right. And I'll say, I'm sorry, I'm already booked. Like I already have something going. You don't have to tell them what you can say. Mm-hmm. I have an appointment at that time. You know, it could be a, a, a speaking engagement for money or whatever. Guarding that schedule and saying, no, my Thursday afternoon, I, I'm booked. I can't be there. I'm sorry. Oh, well, can you come later? No, I can't. They don't need to know that I'm going to be sitting watching my son play football. That's right. Right. But I need to guard that. And um, I tell you, it's been pretty cool because my time at A&M, both coaches that I've been blessed to work for, they, they both understand that and supported that. Uh, Coach Fisher supports that. And like if my son has a game, I, you know, I'm able to dip out of practice early and, and things like that just to go support him. And when my daughter would run a cross country meet, I was able to come in later or whatever it was. And um, so I'm, I'm fortunate that they were able to – I'm working for people who see that value as well. So it's not like, sorry, you can't see your kids, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's been good. Been good. That's good. Let me ask you, um, a lot of people have a life verse or favorite scripture. Yeah. Um, is there one that you would say is a life verse or maybe one that God's shown you recently that you'd share with us? I can do both. <laughs> um, I don't know if you've ever done the one word challenge. Yeah. One word that will change your life. I've been doing that since 2013. 
And uh, my word this year is, um, it's pretty simple, um, but it speaks so much truth to me, is remain. And uh, it comes from John 15, 5. Mm. And uh, it says, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. <clears throat> so John 15, 5 has really been, uh, it's been my word for 2019. It's just staying connected, mm. remaining in him. Another translation says abide. And mm. so that has really been one as, as I am highlighted in my New Living Translation um, version of the scriptures in John chapter 15, 1 through 10, that word remain is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. It it, it is shows up ten times. Wow. But John fifteen five is I gotta know that apart from him I can do nothing. I've got to remain right. in him and he in me. And then really a big life verse for me is uh, Acts four twelve and thirteen. But really verse thirteen, which I love, twelve is so solid, says there's salvation and no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. But 13 really, um, really just, I love it. It says the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. And uh, that has always just kind of stood out to me is that, you know, God doesn't always use the smartest person. He doesn't always use the person who speaks the best or whatever he does. But there was something about Peter and John is they had an aroma to them and they had the mm. aroma of Christ because they had been with the master. So I love Acts 4.13 because they're saying they saw their boldness. These guys, man, Peter and John, some bold dudes. Right. And it says, but they recognized these guys had no schooling. No, they, they're just ordinary guys. But they recognized something about these ordinary guys. They had been with Jesus. And I tell you what, it doesn't matter how many degrees you have on your wall, what seminary you may have matriculated from or whatever is going on. What, what people are wanting to know is, have you been with Jesus? Ooh, and I, just, I love it. I just love that verse because it just shows that God shows no favorites. These are ordinary, regular dudes. But they had something about them. They're... They had been with the master. And so I love Acts 4.13. That is a go-to uh, for me because it, um, it continually encourages me. If you ever battle against, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough. Look, God used Peter and John. They're ordinary dudes. But the, way, the reason he used them is they had spent time with him. Oh, that's good. You know, it's, I'm, I, I circled um, when I wrote down Acts 4.12-13. I circled the 13 and wrote some of the things down you said, because I think a lot of times, I know I'm guilty when I, when I'm reading that passage, I zero in on 12. Yes. You know, and a lot of times I don't get to 13 or if I read it, it didn't sink in, you know? Oh man, you read 13 and you say, man, it is only by the grace of God yep. that I'm able to be used by him. You know, sometimes we can get so focused just on there's salvation and no one else. There's That's verse right. 12, verse 12, verse 12. And they say, well, who's the people he used? Yep. regular guys man just regular people the average joes of the world he uses them and um they were they all they had to be was two things loyal and obedient that's what he was Ooh. looking for 
people who were going to be loyal to him and they'd be, they would do what he said. And we know Peter's roller coaster of a life he lived. But you look at it as the book of Acts, you read that in one encounter, Peter preached and 3,000 people were added to the, the church that day, were added to the number that That's day. That's right, that day. So once, once he got restored in John 21, there was no turning back for him. He had lived that life, sliced dude's ear off, denied Christ, said there's no way, um, you know, you're going to die until you get behind me. Say, I mean, there's so many times, Peter, hot, cold, hot, cold. But man, once he jumped in that water and swam to Jesus post-resurrection, he turned back no more, man. He was on fire, but he was just an ordinary guy. That's Remember, it was, his, it, was, it, was, it was his brother, Andrew, was the one that went and said, we found a man. That's right. Who told us everything. So remember, Andrew met Jesus first and then did uh, the whole deal. And then a lot of people will debate or whatever. But in Luke 5, you see really a second calling is when Jesus got into Peter's boat, launched out into the deep, you know, and then uh, we fetched hard all night long, hadn't caught a thing. Well, then the next thing you know, he says, throw in again to the deep part. And next next thing you know, those nets begin, they start to tear the boats. Both boats said began to sink. And Peter, when they got to the shore, fell down on his knees, said, I'm unclean, man. I'm, I'm jacked up. And he said, get up, Peter. From now on, you're going to become fishers of men. Follow me. And so all he was looking for people who were loyal and obedient. They left everything. They left all those fish. They left everything to follow him. These were ordinary, verse 13, Acts 4, 13, ordinary, regular guys. They had no special training in the scriptures. But the people, the, the people did. They recognized They've been with him. That's right. I tell I people all the time, you know, that say, well, I can never do X or God didn't equip me to do X. I'm like, man, you know what? Just be available or loyal and obedient. I'm telling you. You know, and just and then sit back. And, and, I, and I preach to myself that all the time because, yeah. you, know, a lot of, you know, I have my own plans. I want to control things. But, you know, I have to remind myself, <laughs> you know, I just sit yeah. back. I'll just be loyal and obedient and, just, and let God yeah. do his thing. It's a little bit better. Actually, it's a lot better than what I can plan. Amen to that. You know, Blackaby said it like this. If we're going to experience God, experience his will, then we've got to make major adjustments in our life to line up to his will. So many times we ask God to line up his will to our life. It doesn't operate like that. Simple obedience being loyal, saying, look, I'm a Christ follower. I'm going with you. No matter where you tell me to go, let's roll. And uh, we're going to experience God's best. Amen. When we walk that out, saying he, he's not under, he, God is under no obligation to tell us what we're going to do next. That's right. He's under no obligation. He knows. And it's just us to trust him that, you know, okay, we believe he is who he says he is. So we're going to trust you for what's next. And that is when we align our will our life to his will, we will experience him in a way that we never thought possible. That's and, right. Uh, us ordinary people will get to experience extraordinary things through, through an extraordinary God. And all he asks us to do is be loyal and obedient. Yep. You trust me. Yep. That's well, it. That's good stuff. Hey, I know yeah. it's, uh, I know you got a lot going on and, uh, I mean, a, a busy life, a busy family. So I appreciate your time. Um, thanks for uh, spending some time with us and 
sharing a little bit about your journey and encouraging. I know encouraging me, um, you know, to, to be loyal and obedient and spend that time with Jesus. Well, I appreciate it, Stuart. Thank you for your uh, All In Sports podcast. And um, just keep reaching the masses, man. Just keep scattering seed, man. I'm, I'm, I'm right. honored to be a part of it. Thank you so much. I'm humbled that you asked me to be a part of it, man. That really means a lot. It really awesome. does. So thank well, you, I appreciate sir. it. You bet. Wow. What an incredible interview. What an incredible time with Mikado and just talking sports and his role and his heart for ministry. And just, again, as I say at the conclusion of every episode, lots of notes. I wish you could see them. I wish you could see the everything that I wrote down. I wish I could share with you everything I wrote down. But just some takeaways was that when you're in ministry um, or a coach or whatever you're doing, involve your family somehow. Because we all have to guard our schedules no matter what our career is. We all get pulled different ways. And we say yes to something outside the home. We're saying no to our family. So make sure that our priority, number one, is loving God. But then it's our family. And then it's our career. And the other thing that I I wrote down, the last thing that I want to leave you with was... um, He talked about the one-word challenge based on John Gordon's book, and I would encourage you to do that. The beginning of every year, or you can start right now, just seek God for one word that He would have you focus on for that year, and that every area of your life be focused on that. And he talked about his word this year. such an encouragement for me to hear it was remain. Talking about from John 15.5, staying connected to the vine, remaining close to God, remaining close in our relationship with Christ. And he also went to Acts 14, 12, and 13 and talked about the boldness of Peter and John, that they were just ordinary guys. But it said that it was evident that they had been with Jesus. God doesn't play favorites. And I would challenge you to think about your life. Is it evident to your family? Is it evident with your coworkers? Is it evident wherever you are that you've been with Jesus? That's the takeaway today. That's the encouragement today is to go take some time and evaluate yourself and ask yourself and ask God to reveal it to you that you would live a life that's evident that you've been with Jesus, that others can see Jesus in every word, every action, every step that you take. Thank you for listening. I could go on and on and on for what I learned from Mikado. But I would just leave you with that, with that thought. I'm going to say it one more time. Does your life reflect someone that's been with Jesus? I would encourage you, wherever you are in your walk, spend time with Jesus. Make sure that your life reflects time with Him, that it reflects a relationship with Jesus. Send this episode to somebody that you think could be encouraged by it. We all can be encouraged. We all enjoy hearing stories. That's the point of this podcast, is to to share real-life stories with you and to show you that, as Mikado said, God shows no favorites. He has you and me where He has us for a purpose. 
and that's to shine the light of Christ. He will use you where you are. So be faithful. Be bold. He uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Share this episode. Give us some feedback. Leave us a review. The more reviews we get, the greater the platform to continue these stories all across through media. Again, just thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to my conclusion to this. Is, 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 is this one really struck me, got me really excited. So thank you for, for hanging in there with me. Thank you for your support and encouragement. We'd love to hear from you. You can interact with us through social media or our website, www.allinsportsoutreach.org. Thank you.